How you doing? Good to see you. I'm Lance, pastor here at Falls Church. We've been studying 1 Samuel, getting into looking at the life of David and uh, keeping in mind that the narrative of 1 Samuel and much of the Old Testament, uh, God's purposes are functioning in three dimensions. There are universal truths that you grab as you look back that overall there are national truths that for the people of God, implications for Israel and for the Jews, and then there are individual truths that are applicable to our everyday lives, and we're often filtering through those to figure out how to view this text and then how to bring it into my everyday real life here in 2017. But keep in mind, as dynamic and motivating as the narrative is between David and Goliath, that it was ultimately God's Goliath, not David's. That David is the instrument used for God's glory. That this is an enemy of God. That David refuses to back down to, refuses to allow the name of the Lord to be trampled on. The audacity of the Philistine, this unbeliever, to spit into the face of the all-powerful living God. I can't say that every hurdle you face is a Goliath to God. I can't say that every dream that you have is uh, uh, something that the Lord is going to bless and can bless. I can't say that every struggle you face will disappear with bold faith and blind trust in God, but I can promise you that we serve a living God who's actively revealing His Word, His will, and His purposes to whoever will seek Him out and know Him. Amen? Amen. We're alive. We serve a living God. Are you alive? Amen? Amen? I don't have a third service if you're not with it yet. All right? Elbow your neighbor a little bit for me, would you? You know? 1 Samuel chapter 17, we left off last week. Verse 1, now the Philistines had gathered their forces for war, and they pitched camp. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, oh, a little soon, with a valley in between them. That's all right, go ahead. Jonah and I studied in Israel, and we were at this spot, uh, the valley of Elah, and we, uh, we hung out on this hillside right up here. Matter of fact, when we went up there, remember that's where we ran into that teacher with a group of students. They were on a field trip up on that hill. But what's interesting is the teacher was this young college age, you know, look, 25-year-old guy, and he had an automatic rifle with him. He had a machine gun with him, you know, like when you live in Israel, you know, your teachers are armed for the safety of your children. It was pretty bizarre, wasn't it, John? I was like, wow, look at that. I was like, what you got there? <laughs> Lunch bucket, an apple a day, and an M16. <laughs> okay, uh, so we were right up here on, on the valley here where Saul's camp, and we looked across the valley to see where the Philistines were gathered, you know, with the valley in between them. It's pretty cool because it's just a couple hundred yards where you know that they could see one another, that they could... Uh, it was easy for us to visualize this valley of Elah between them. And we stopped 
on that hillside, and we imagined the Philistines over there, and we had a, like a, 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 you know, kind of a devotional up there. It was really kind of cool. See, the Philistines believed the Israelites had a special connection to the hills. Possibly the, uh, from the encounters of like Moses up, uh, Elisha, Mount Carmel, Abraham, right? Uh, that, that many men of faith met with God in these dynamic places uh, away from everyone else. And, and proof text would be 1 Kings chapter 20. It says, Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, Their gods are the gods of the hills. It was fake news that was spread throughout the region that the Israelites, something about them and their God up in the hills, that they're, they're more powerful. That's, that's why they're too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we'll be stronger than they. And the next spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans to fight against Israel. And when the Israelites were also mustered and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. And the Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats. They looked like a couple little groups of animals compared to the whole countryside that was covered with the Aramean soldiers. And the man of God, verse 28, came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Arameans think that the Lord is the God of the hills and not the God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. Our God is the God of the whole earth. Amen? In, under, around, and through. Our God is the Lord of the galaxy. And if there's life outside of our galaxy, He's the Lord of the universes as well. Amen? He's not exclusively the Lord of the hillbillies. His reign is not regional. He's not limited to by area code. But wherever humans will humble themselves and seek His will, powerful, dynamic things can happen. Amen? But sometimes we're like Israel. We know how powerful our God is, and yet when opposition arises, when difficulty is staring us close in the face, when agonizing news hits our ears, we can find ourselves trembling. So, God's people are on one hill, the valley between them, the Philistines on the other, and a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubics and a span, or over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale of armor, brown weight, over 100 pounds. On his legs, he wore these grieve. He had, he had steel all over his body, javelin slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. It's iron point. The point, the tip of his staff was, oh, 15 pounds of the, uh, you know, 16 pounds is the heavy. Is that the heaviest allowed, Mike, bowling in bowling, bowling ball? 16? Yeah, that's what I have. Just because it's pink doesn't mean it's not 16 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath is a walking tank. Stocked with advanced weaponry, he's a proven, undefeated, heavyweight 
champion. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, or are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me, and if I'm able to fight and kill him, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing this, on the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were terrified. Their legs wobbled and they peed their tunics. <laughs> That's in my version. It's a one-on-one -on -one challenge for all the marbles. Ever heard of those muscle heads, those gear heads and muscle cars that line up for a drag race and the street race, and they say, we're racing for pink slips, right? Whoever wins this. Hey, there has to be a Wildebor who raced for a pink slip somewhere down the legends of those folks over there in Lenox area. And uh, so they line up their muscle cars and they say, whoever wins gets the title to the other guy's vehicle. They're not pink anymore. I don't know what that's about, but Pepe, you probably know you're old enough. But they agree to race. And the winner gets the other guy's car title. Babylonian history records one-on-one -on -one fights in the, in, the, in the midst of battlefields where the best fighter from each other that they would agree instead of the bloodshed and no husbands coming back home again, but instead you'll rule us and we'll work for you. We'll become your servants and live rather than we all die. So you send your best guy, we'll send our best guy. But as history tells, most of those were just prelims because after the battle was won, they still all just fought anyway, but it was a good preliminary fight before the big one. Star Trek, A Taste of Armageddon, Season 1, Episode 23, the crew of the USS Enterprise visits a planet whose people do computer-simulated war against neighboring planets, and they decide that instead of the destruction and all the infrastructure and the expense of it, they'll just have these battles on, uh, you know, via computer simulation, and the citizens of each planet then... If they were destroyed, then they, they showed up and they had to go into the disintegration booths because they were part of the casualty count in this simulated attacks. And the crew of the Enterprise, of course, while they're in that region, are part of the collateral damage and told then their crew, captain and everybody, has to go into the disintegration booths and voluntarily be executed because they had been damaged for Israel, their dreaded nemesis is lining up for battle. And this is a take-no-prisoners environment. This is an all-out war that's mounting. And to top it off, the Philistines' overgrown meathead Goliath has been stepping out, insulting, and spitting in the face of the people of God. They've drawn the battle lines, and for 40 days... The Philistine came forward every morning and evening, and he took his stand. Early in the morning, David left the flock to take care of his shepherd, with the shepherd. He reached the camp of the army going out in the battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up the, the, their lines facing each other. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out 
uh, from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And whenever Israel, the Israelites saw the man, they fled in great fear. Before you get too judgmental, how many times have you said, I will fight, I will stand, Lord? How many times have you said, the battle is the Lord's, or our God is able, our God can do anything. Lord, my whole life is yours. I have decided to follow Jesus. I mean, that's the, the war cry of Christianity. We're lining up for battle. We're saying, my whole life is yours, Lord. All my heart, my mind, my soul, and strength. And then temptation presents itself. Or opposition blocks an easy path for you. Or tragedy crashes over your life. Or the, the, the pressures and the anxiety of life makes it hard to breathe. Do we accept that challenge by faith? Or shrink back to a path of less resistance? Will you stand with me? Lord, as we contemplate and try to integrate... Uh, this uh, amazing story, true story, of a young person who is willing to stand for God against great opposition. Lord, would you help us to be able to process the challenges that are in front of us, even, even this day, to be worshipers of the one true God? instead of observers, that we ourselves would build an altar right where we're at, that we would engage with you, Lord, that we would give you the praise that you are due, and that we would, by the tenacity and the work of the Holy Spirit, be able to take it from beyond just shouting the war cry into action in our lives. Help us to be able to integrate all those things today in Jesus' name. Amen. David's older, older brothers were in Saul's army, staged at the hillside facing the Philistines. David is sent by his father with some supplies, some goodies, a little care package. Send this to your brother, see how they're doing. Check in on them. Verse 15, but David went back and forth from Saul, tend his father's sheep. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. And David is bringing food for his brothers, and early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd loaded and set out as his father Jesse had directed. He reached the camp where the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Now, I don't understand, whoa, I don't understand uh, uh, the strategic battle plans of ancient war where you would be drawing a battle line and for 40 days in a row, you're not fighting. You're just, you know, staring there. You know, you know, you know, back and forth. I have no idea what was going on there for 40 days in a row. But Israel and the Philistines were drawing up battle lines facing each other. And David left the things to keep her supplies, ran to the battle line, and asked his brothers, hey, how's it going up here? How are you doing? And as he's talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it this time. And whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, 
Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes. And David asked them, what? What? Did he just say, like, you're, you don't have to pay taxes and you get, like, a princess? You get, and uh, 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 great wealth? This sounds, this sounds really good. If you remove this disgrace from Israel, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, David says, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then the guys repeated like to King Saul saying like, hey, or they repeated to him saying what King Saul had said. What, this is what's going to happen. You get the money, the princess, and you know, except for taxes, you're going to have it made the rest of your life. And we, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking to the men, he burned with anger and says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you lead those sheep in the wilderness? You had chores to do. I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down here just to watch the battle. Just to, you know, the cable's not working back. You got nothing to watch. You're bored. You just want to watch a battle. And David sounds like a kid in the back of a minivan on vacation with the family. Now what have I done? Can I even talk? And then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. And David was overheard what David was saying. He was overheard to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able. You can't go out there. You're just a kid. You're a young guy. You, you, you don't have much experience at all. This guy, he's, a, he's, a, he's been fighting from his youth. But David said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he defies the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Here, the Spirit of the Lord is obviously on David. He's seeing things with the eyes of the Lord now. Remember, there are universal truths. There are national truths for the people of God and individual truths that we're going to pull forward. But on the national dimension, the nation of Israel, God's people, leadership transition. This is important. Saul sees with the human eyes. Saul looks at the size of this warrior. Saul looks at their mass armies and how equipped they are. His soldiers and commanders see a colossal warrior and David sees a human whose God is powerless. David is an example of purity and right defeats earthly might. Amen? David is offended for God. David sees an uncircumcised Gentile who calls on a dead God. And if you look, at, look it up, the, the Philistines' God is likely Dagon. Dagon was an ancient carvings of this fish man, kind of fish god, Babylonian god. No, 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 I mean merman. 
Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, bronze helmet, fastened his sword over his tunic, tried walking around. David said, I'm not used to this. I can't go like this, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. And he took them off. Notice how willing Saul is. How willing Saul is to give up his battle gear for another soldier. He has no intentions of going out there and engaging in warfare himself, and yet Saul was likely the the most suited candidate. He was the spokesman that led the battle. Didn't it say in the last chapter he was a foot taller than everybody else in all of Israel? He's the biggest, most intimidating physical specimen that Israel has, and he has no intention of going into battle. He says, here, David, try this on. Saul's boldness and faith is gone, and David decides to take his sling and five smooth stones. It's a demonstration of God's leadership, Lord's anoint, David's leadership and God's people and the anointing that is on David and Saul's loss of his spiritual favor with God. Some might argue Saul didn't have the stones for it, and David did. It just stones. I looked it up. It means guts. It's a true story. I grabbed, I, I had these, uh, when we, Joan and I were in Israel, and we were in the Valley of Elah, and I grabbed some of these rocks, and it was kind of cool, these stones, and I, I wrote on them. Now I knocked, I don't know, a couple probably down here. There we go. And, uh, and I wrote on them. First uh, Samuel seventeen forty seven, the Valley of Elah, and I, I, I brought, I brought a bunch, put them in my suitcase. Didn't know if I'd get through security with them, but I did, and I gave them to staff members and people on the leadership team at that time. That's kind of cool because I had, the, I knew I had a couple in that box, Joan, and I reached into the top of the box and I dumped them out, and guess how many I had left? Five. He took his staff in his hand and he chose five small stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, shepherd's bag. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And meanwhile, the Philistine with a shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, saw he was just a little boy glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog? You come at me with sticks. It just mentioned in verse 40 that he has staff in his hand. So you come at me with a stick in your hand and rocks in your pouch. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, some versions say. I like that. It's in my brain. Again, Goliath sees David's weaponry, and he's insulted that he has a little stick in his hand, and he's got a little slingshot, and he's coming at him in full metal jacket. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And this very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. He didn't say, the whole world's going to know about me, David, the little shepherd boy. 
He said, no, the whole world's going to know that there's a God in Israel. Our God is alive, and everyone here is about to see that our God is real and living, and that your merman is a powerless, dead fish. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Hey, Goliath, yo, meathead, your weapons are no match for the living God. You might be bigger, you might be stronger, you might be the undisputed, undefeated heavyweight, you might have the belt, never been defeated champion, but you're not fighting a human being. You picked a fight with the divine creator of the heavens and the earth, and you've insulted God. And God is going to kick your butt today. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and fell, he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him, and he took out the Philistine's sword, and he drew it from his sheath, and he chopped off his head. And he... When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward to shout and pursued the Philistine in the entrance to Gath and Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the road. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. It's said when you defeated at the victory, sometimes you took a few trophies to remember the battle by. And you had a little spot there where some of your trophies were from battles that won. And David said, I'm taking a sword and I'm taking that head. Putting it by my nightstand. That future princess, she's going to like my decor. Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine. He said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? And Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. And the king said, find out whose son this young man is. And David, as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him to Saul. And David's still holding the Philistine's head. <laughs> I wonder if he like, used it as part of his like killing of Philistines. <laughs> You know, because they were their bodies are strewn all over. You still have the blood dripping all over everywhere. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him, and David said, I'm the son of your servant Jesse in Bethlehem. Some people think it conflicts with verse six, chapter 16 because he's already been working, playing the harp, and singing. But but uh, scholars say, no, it's a deeper inquiry. It's deeper saying, yeah, I know this guy works for me, but tell me more about him. I want to know something about his family. Tell me more about this young kid that, yeah, I liked him. He was working for me. But who's behind? I want to know about his father, his, his, his father before him, and maybe the father. There's got to be something special about that kid. But it wasn't. What was special was God, who was the hero. What made David a good king? A man after God's own heart. And he's the Messiah, meaning the Savior of the people. He's, he, Saul didn't have that 
messianic, uh, you know, he, 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 he was on the road, but it, it quickly fell apart. David is the one who was able to bring all the tribes together. And it's a time in the history that before and after, they all looked towards a king like David who could, who could bring everyone together. They called him a, a Messiah, meaning not, not a slight against Jesus, but he was a savior of the people, and he had brought them together. And no one was able to do that until his relative, his on the line, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the king of kings. And it's not a man after God's heart, but a man of God's heart. Jesus, a man with God's heart, the Son of God, the Messiah, the final and perfect King. You know, we don't face too many Goliaths. At times we have a hard time processing, like, when am I going to be in a situation like this? Because our wars that we wage, we know they're spiritual, they're supernatural, they're verbal for sure. I mean, if you watch much on uh, on the news, television, you know our, our morals are being attacked, that our, 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 our the word of God is being mocked and, and the Lord is being spit towards all over the airwaves. Not many people, or I don't know of any, that are being imprisoned in the United States because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It's happening other places around the globe. But I'll promise you, God is blasphemed all over the internet, all over satellite, cable, radio, airwaves. Not in the same way as the Philistines. I mean, the Philistines were blaspheming and saying, and we're going to kill you and your babies. And they meant it. Life and death was on the line. But it could happen here. Because of the verbal assault, the spirit against Christianity that wages in this war, countries that have been stable and protected, things have switched really quickly. The Christians that were worshiping God in, in a Lutheran nation out of the Reformation, the great Christian revivalists out of the Reformation were in Germany. And, and many of them opposed the Nazi regime and the annihilation of the Jews and anybody else who was socially unacceptable or rose up against the Nazi regime. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the famous pastors who spoke out against it, who found himself in prison and executed. Maybe today it's just idle Goliath talk in our culture. But Jesus warned in Matthew 10, But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in your synagogues. What's that mean? It means that even sometimes churches will, church leadership will be corrupted too, will not stand against it. Matthew 24, Then they'll deliver you to, into tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. <laughs> Jesus said in John 15, remember the words I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It could come our way in a hurry. David isn't special to the point of overshadowing God. God is the hero. 
And sure, God uses him because of his pure heart. But God is the hero, and God can use anyone who allows him to shine through them. Who refuses to hide in fear of those that oppose the works of Christ. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things. Anyone look like a fool out there before? Where are you at? Half dozen? God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things. Anyone been weak out there? To shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world. How many ever felt second rate? <laughs> Where you at? Of this world and he and the despised things and the things that are not. There are those people with the it factor. How many have ever felt like a person with the not factor? Huh? Where you at? Anybody? To nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Will you stand with me? Lord, we don't know what we'll be facing this week, maybe later today. We don't know the text messages that might be piling up, the email, responding back. We don't know exactly how to implement. We don't, there won't be a Goliath out there in human form probably threatening our very life today, but the time is coming when there will be severe challenges for the Christian church. Would you put it in us? Would you give us the guts and the constitution <laughs> and our stomach fortified determination to stand for you? The willingness, Lord, to speak. The willingness to act. But God, we lack the wisdom so many times of what are you asking us to do exactly? What are you asking us to say? How? Who? What? Where? When? Holy Spirit, give us your anointing to rest on us so that when it's time to speak, we'll speak. When it's time to do, we'll do. When it's time to be, we'll be. We need your help and anointing to accomplish it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.cc.